Welcome. You are listening to the Spiritual Exercises Podcast. My name is Rachel Amaday. So happy to be here with you all on this Friday. And I hope you all are able to prepare for the Sabbath today, that you get all your work done, or you at least get into the mindset that you have completed your work for the week. I know this morning I got up and I tried to get a bunch of cleaning done, as I tend to do on Fridays, just so I can feel more comfortable in my house through the Sabbath. Um, tried to get a bunch of emails and all of that sort of stuff done before I even recorded this podcast. This podcast feels like less work to me than those other things. So I was hoping I would have the time to get this in today, and I'm so glad that I could. Um, Although I will say I am a, a tiny bit intimidated by the topic today, and it is because there are so many vastly different opinions about this, and there is a wide spectrum of beliefs on some of this stuff, even in the church, even in mainstream Christianity, there is uh, just widespread uh, differing beliefs around this issue. But I think it's time we've got to have the conversation about what is going on, both on what I would say would be the the far-right Christian nationalist or uber-conservative Christian um, mainstream, I would say mainstream uber-conservative Christianity, uh, and what is happening in the world, I am seeing a pattern that might be pointing to the same type of spirit working both in the church and in the culture to a very bitter end, I think, for society in general here in America and towards a really, really destructive um, thing that is happening. And, And it shouldn't be surprising to anybody, but today I am talking about the similarities between the erasure of women from society from the cultural perspective. We can't even define what a woman is anymore, right? And we have a lot to discuss with the transgender movement and what it's doing to women. Uh, and the what I would call trad wives, ultra-right Christian nationalist movement that is a part of what is becoming a part of mainstream Christianity in a lot of spheres. And so I'm going to go to Twitter a lot to kind of show you what I'm talking about today. This might be new information for you. You might have no idea what I'm talking about, but I want you to know because I do believe over the coming years you're going to encounter this. And Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, I am not going to make any claims that I am landing the plane on the issue of women in church. I am not sure that I am. I have a tendency to believe personally, this is my personal belief, this is my, I want to say this again, this is my personal belief based on my understanding of scripture and also what I see happening culturally, and I'll talk about that in a second. But my personal belief is that perhaps women should not be head pastors of churches. Um, And that is just based on the cultural context in which Paul makes the same claim, I think still happens today. I think we are still in a world, in a culture, where young men desperately need male leaders and where young men in particular still have a hard time learning from women to their own detriment, I would say. But even if the Bible doesn't make the claim legally, if, if there's not a law in the Torah that women can't be pastors outside of Israel, okay, which I, 
I'm not sure that there is one. I'll have to ask around about that. But even if there isn't one, I would say culturally, it is a little dangerous to have women being in headship of like a local church body. However, obviously, given the work that I do, I am in full belief that women are fantastic Bible teachers. They can be. Um, Women have a natural communication ability, oftentimes a natural teaching gift. Women, especially with younger people and children, tend to talk more to them than men do. And so it's no surprise that women are comfortable in teaching roles. And it should be no surprise that women are great natural teachers very often. And we need wise women as teachers in the church. Um, I firmly believe we see examples of wise women in leadership and culture and in leadership in the church body in scripture. We see this in Priscilla in the New Testament who's able to teach a man. It also seems like she has a position in the church and, you know, her wisdom regarding scripture is revered. And so, you know, she gets spoken about. We see Deborah in the Old Testament, although many view Deborah being a judge as a judgment of Israel. I I understand that, but I also believe Deborah was just a revelation that Israel had not had good leadership. And so God raised up a woman who was a great leader, and God blessed the land with peace for 40 years after her leadership, blessed her with military victory, um, and was able to help the people of God through a woman. She was also a judge who was judging rightly between what was good and evil in the land of Israel at the time, which meant that she was dealing with scripture. And it also meant that she had authority over men to deal with scripture, deal with scriptural laws rightly and justly. And that's how the Bible describes her. Whether or not you like that or not does not matter. That's what's there. So I think that God uses women throughout all of scripture to teach and instruct and to share the good news of the gospel. And it's why what's happening in some of, especially believers on Twitter, is a little surprising But let's talk about these two things that I'm comparing. You know, if you're not aware of the transgenderism movement, how far it's been going lately to obliterate women, let me just give you a little recap. We definitely have had women, I think it's Leah Thomas and swimming, um, women in like MMA fighting, having uh, basically women dealing with transgender men, you know, who are claiming to be women. Uh, coming in and taking over the sport. And it's happening even in high schools across the nation where girls are having to face boys uh, in sports. And of course, they're getting their butts kicked. And so we're facing the obliteration of women's sports if it continues this in this direction. We're also facing a trend where, you know, Bud Light has gotten in a bunch of trouble recently. We have all of these men dressing up as women and acting like women, which I don't think they even act like good women. They act like over-sexualized female children, which is even more gross. And I, I can't, I, I hate to say that, but if you watch some of the videos of these folks, they're acting like little girls. They're not acting like women. And so it's kind of scary um, the way that they perceive what women are, but um, they're being, you know, promulgated as women. And so they're taking the role of women in advertising, um, at in workplaces. Uh, companies are getting points for hiring transgendered people, even above women. Um, this is just a trend that is unfortunately very much focused on obliterating women. And why? Why is that the case? Well, let's think about this. 
women pretending to be men are never going to go in and win men's sporting events, right? (laughs) That's just that's just a fact. If I thought I was a man and and put on the whole deal and started taking hormones and it wouldn't matter what I did, I would still not be able to acquire the bone structure and therefore the muscle mass needed to go up against a professional man, even a college level male um, in sports. I wouldn't be able to do it. So women can't go in and take over men's sports, men's activities nearly as much. Not to mention, we don't see companies trying to put forward women dressed as men and women looking like men. And why would that be? I'm going to just say the trend just isn't there as much, number one. Um, I would say probably with women's bodies too, we're seeing this with young women. And I know Abigail Schreier has talked about this in uh, the, the book that she most recently put out, it's unbelievably hard on a woman's body to take these transitioning drugs and to do these processes in a way that is just, guys, it's like torture. Honestly, some of the stuff that's described, it's just egregiously awful. And, you know, women have all these hormones. They're just, their bodies are different. And so, they're, and they're, they're never going to become anything close to a full-grown male. It's just impossible to do. And so you, you have women, I think, suffering under this trend from both sides way more than men are. It seems like men dressing as women are being pushed upon society left and right, whereas the other way around, not as much, although there's a bunch of women dressed as men who are having babies and now they're claiming men can have babies and all this stuff. You guys know what's going on. But I would say the transgender movement is absolutely erasing women from roles that women traditionally have had. And honestly, from, again, this is my personal view as a woman, um, and I think Matt Walsh says this pretty well, you can't take a pill and put on a dress and be a woman. That's just not fair. That's not right. And it's just ridiculous. It's silly. You don't know anything about being a woman (laughs) if you're a man. And if you're a woman, you don't really know anything about being a man. You can observe as much as you can. You can have an opinion. um, But you have never actually lived with the chromosome pattern that that person has. And so it's, um, we just live in times of confusion. And uh, I'm rereading Return of the Gods by Jonathan Kahn, a great book. Um, one of the gods that was in charge of transgenderism and all of this stuff was Ishtar, goddess Ishtar. And you should read his book just to understand the things that the Ishtar priests would do to this goddess because it's exactly what we're seeing society do with gender and sexuality today. So it should be no surprise. There is nothing new under the sun. Um, but right now, the obliteration of women is pretty intense in that regard. Now, uh, what I mentioned in my title is this trad wives movement. Trad wives, I believe, stands for traditional wife, traditional wives. And what is this trend? So I'm going to give you a Wikipedia definition because it's hard to find really great sources for this. This is what it says. A trad wife typically denotes a woman who believes in traditional sex roles and a traditional marriage. Many trad wives believe that a woman does not lose rights by choosing to take a traditional role in marriage. Some may choose to leave careers to focus instead on family and meeting their family's needs. Popularity of the term rose in mid-2018, end quote. Okay, so that's a pretty generic 
uh, definition. Nothing wrong with, you know, believing in traditional roles for male and female, um, but I guess it really does matter whose tradition and from what time period. <laughs> but, but, you know, okay, that's, that's what's, uh, you know, the general understanding of trad wives. Um, Today.com happened to run a story where they interviewed a uh, trad wife. They interviewed some ex- experts describing the trend as well. Um, and in it, they provide some of this analysis as to why this movement is gaining steam. So from the article, it says this, I'll quote it. Trad wife culture, a niche lifestyle that's finding a larger audience on TikTok, could be a reaction to the overall liberalization of American belief systems, says Noam Spencer, a professor of psychology at Otterbein University in Ohio. A 2021 New York University study found that each new generation tends to become more open-minded than the previous one in regards to race, sexuality, and gender. Whenever there is a social change, not everyone will be happy, Spencer tells Today.com. He compares trad wives to people who support laws like Don't Say Gay Bill in Florida, both seeking to return society to what some people see as a simpler time with fewer individual freedoms, end quote. No doubt, in my mind, the Tradwives trend is absolutely a response to what we've been seeing in culture and what did we expect. When culture gets to a place that is so hard on children and women, um, it would make a lot of sense that women would want to just kind of retreat from culture, as like Christian women or conservative women. They would want to simplify. They would want to have an ultra, what they would perceive as an ultra feminine role in response to what has happened to the role of women in society. They they want to honor motherhood because, and you know, my sister and I, and we're going to do another podcast here pretty soon, have had long conversations about how the media just has destroyed the view of mothers and motherhood. I mean, either mother is missing from every Disney movie that has ever existed or, you know, she's barely there, or like in a lot of other movies, she's psychotic, or she's unbalanced, or she's horrible, or she's a workaholic. Like a real mother is almost never portrayed in the media. And I do think this has had a major unfortunate impact on this aspect of being a woman. The the idea that women are the only people in society Sorry for all of you who want to uh, purport differently. Um, chromosomes matter, people. Okay, women, biological women, are the only people in society who can have children, and this really important role, the first command in Scripture: "Be fruitful and multiply." This has been diminished and obliterated. And in fact, I believe that a lot of this is to force people into the idea that women just have babies. You know, if you want to have babies, go back to work, put your kid in childcare, let somebody else raise your children, right? That um, you can have it all as a woman. You can be a mom and have a full-time job and have this and have that. And this has been a diminishing of the incredibly important role of mother, especially since, again, guys, I hate to burst your bubble here, but God created it so that a young baby has to be attached to its mother for a reason, not just for sustenance, but because the role of mother and how women are built are probably more naturally capable of attending to um, young children who can't communicate well. And this is borne out in studies, not that men don't talk as much as women men do, but men don't talk as much to their children as women do, which is interesting. And so 
women more naturally communicate and spur early language growth in young children. Uh, Women have more of that instinctual uh, understanding, and it might be because our eye movement is quicker and we pick up on more in a room. Uh, Who knows what it is, but the ability to kind of pay attention to what the kid is doing and be cooking dinner, women seem to be able to do this very, very well. Now, this doesn't diminish the role of father at all. In fact, we know from study after study that missing fathers in the home have an unbelievably horrific impact on the future of those children and their success and criminal rates and all of that. So both roles are equally important. But the idea that you can have it all as a woman, you'll be able to have a full-time job and still be the mother you want to be, I'm just going to straight up tell you, not accurate. Unless you're doing work from home or work like the Proverbs 31 in scripture, which we're going to talk about. Um, But the role of women the role of mother has been horribly diminished, and I do believe that is where this trad wives trend comes in. By the way, I just want to promote um, mothers and motherhood. I want to say that I applaud the choice that a woman makes when she decides to stay home with her kids. Uh, as a society, we owe these women a debt of gratitude because that role in a child's life can change everything about how that child turns out. And the future of society rests on how we raise our children. It is so important that we have great women and men together raising children. By the way, fathers, you are called to be inputting into your child's life spiritually, emotionally, physically, all the same ways that your wife is. And so here's the other thing. Why do we we call women to this and, and we're trying to call them back and say it's so important. And nobody's calling men to, to fatherhood. No, you know, the, the trad wife trend, where's the, where the trad dad trend? Where in the biblical understanding of fatherhood, dads are teaching their children spiritual principles. Dads are highly invested in their kids. In fact, Abraham is considered one of the reasons God chose Abraham. It's listed in the Bible. He was going to teach his kids about what the Lord had told him. That that investment that Abraham was going to be willing to make, Abraham valued family. And so God valued Abraham as a role in his kingdom. Where is the call for men? And you're going to find that usually this is missing. Usually we're debating about women, right? And we're missing, we're missing the boat in a lot of ways because we need both men and women. Now, again, like I said, I applaud the choice of women staying at home as moms, especially to their young kids, and being there for those kids because a parent will care about those children way more than any social worker, any other. I'm sorry, I hate to say this, but if you have children, you understand this concept. You know your children better, and you will care better for them than any teacher, any preschool teacher, than anybody else, unless you know you're unbalanced, and you would know that, right? But you're going to do a better job. So it's important that a parent is present. It is important that parents are raising their children. This is essential. God created family for a reason. Family is everything in scripture. So I applaud these choices. However, we are seeing a strange mix in the Christian community of trad wife, Christian nationalism, and a push, I believe, for the silencing of women in the public square and the church. Very odd mix going on and starting to take root. And I'm going to give you some examples here. A great example of an account with around 23,000 followers is a Twitter account called Smash Bales. He 
uh, has a pinned tweet, which is a thread that basically exemplifies this strange unity happening with this movement, this unification of Christian nationalism and traditional wife views and the Christian community. Now, I assume, uh, by the way, I'm assuming this guy's a he, um, just because of how he interact, interacts, this person interacts around women's issues. Um, in my notes uh, in the Substack here, I've provided some evidentiary pictures for you from some of the accounts I'm discussing today. The first is this picture of Smash Bale's pin tweet in favor of Christian nationalism. Now, feel free to read his reasons for it, and they might be just fine. But his account consistently combines a pro-Christian nationalist view with that of one where women cannot be in leadership nationally in the church, or I'm just assuming anywhere. Uh, and I've also provided a few photos for you there. He spends a decent amount of his Twitter space discussing all the roles women are not allowed to have in Scripture, according to his reading of the word that Paul was somehow able to make new laws, which you know I don't believe is true, um, but that's a discussion for another day. And he also spends a lot of time criticizing Rick Warren's view that women can be pastors. Okay, so an interesting way to use your time on Twitter for sure. Now, his account, I follow it because I want to kind of see what's going on with these trends and what people, how people are responding. His account has a lot of truth in it, actually, but those truths are mixed with quite a bit of folly and a very, very high level of degradation for the female of the gender. He makes fun of women all the time. Now, this is a dangerous mix, in my opinion, as historically this has led consistently to the objectification and degradation of women across society in general, as well as rampantly throughout churches. The rights of women through most of human history have been minimal, if you study human history, you notice this. In fact, scripture is one of the only places we find property rights, marital rights, and other rights for women during time periods where nothing of the sort existed on the planet. Paul even encourages the church to educate women at a time when the culture was not willing to educate them. There's another account called The Transformed Wife, run by a woman, I'm assuming, giving given her picture and title, and it's dedicated to discussing what submission to a husband looks like from a so-called Christian perspective. With around 24,000 followers and lots of interaction, I was concerned to see this post that stated, and I quote, a few young women have told me they didn't even know they had a sex drive until they kissed the men who are now their husbands. Males know it as soon as they hit puberty. Women are the gatekeepers to sex. When they freed themselves from this in the 60s was when our culture quickly began to spiral downwards. Men no longer have any reason for marriage. They can now get it all for free. Oh my gosh. Can we just take this, end quote, by the way, can we just take this sentence by sentence? There's like a dangerous mix of some truth with a lot of lie. And this is how a lot of her posts read. Let me analyze this a little bit, and you can see if you agree with me. She starts out with an anecdotal tale of a few young women that didn't even know that they had a sex drive until they were kissed by a man who magically unlocked their sex drive. Um, males know it as soon as they hit puberty. Okay, yes, probably true. Now, now we have this... Um, because of the few young women that told her they didn't have a sex drive, um, women are the gatekeepers to sex, okay? Uh, when they freed themselves from this in the 60s was when our culture began to spiral downwards. 
you know, there was a lot of things that happened in the 60s that caused the culture to spiral downwards. Certainly feminism and the type of feminism that were being experienced at the time were part of the problem, not the entire whole of the problem, but definitely part of the problem. I agree with, with that a little bit. And I agree that women can be great gate, gatekeepers to sex. But then she says men no longer have any reason for marriage. They can now get it all for free. Um, okay, so this is kind of an old school approach to marriage. Men will only get married uh, for sex, <laughs> which, which gives you an idea of how she not only views women, but how she thinks all men view women, which is very unfortunate because I think men get married for a lot more reasons than just sex. Um, men have always been able to get sex, not always for free. You know, they've had to pay prostitutes or they've had to find a really loose woman in town or, you know, there've always been options. Men tend to do better when women are um, saying no. I agree with that. I totally agree with that. But sex is not the only reason that men get married. And if it is, if it is, we're in a lot of trouble in society. I mean, there are so many wonderful aspects of marriage, like having children, having a best friend through life, right? Having a partner in life. But I understand her point, but some of, again, this is the problem going on with this in Christianity. Some of the underbelly of her point is a little dark. It's a dark view of women. It's also a dark view of men. It puts forward the idea that men have no ability to have any self-control, that women, are, that men are completely 100% deceived by women, incapable of keeping it in their pants at any time, and that men won't choose somebody better. They won't choose, the men will refuse to choose something better as long as they can get sex for free. Well, we have lots and lots of men that prove that wrong even now, even today, even in our free sex society, many men are choosing to get married and it obviously isn't for sexual reasons. And so I don't like the implications for both men and women in tweets like that. Now, the list goes on with increasingly illogical promotions of twisted forms of the female or idealized versions of people that are just plain silly and naive. Okay, this idealized, this weird view that so many, there's women, young women out there that don't even know they have a sex drive. And the, then they meet their man and that one kiss unlocks. This is a really naive, very fairy tale, very fanciful view of women. Most women do know they have a sex drive actually before, you know, the man they marry kisses them. Most women are aware of their sex drive there. So this is a fanciful, silly and naive view of, of of women, honestly. Yet young people, especially young men, are particularly drawn to this type of thinking in a culture where their roles have also been degraded as much as the roles of women have. So people are really lost. And I don't think the church in this regard is helping. We're not, the good churches aren't having the discussion. And you've got a whole trend going on in the far right churches that are having the discussion in a really illogical, unbiblical, and in my opinion, dangerous way. Erasing the female from public view or from the church will do nothing to improve society. Unless, of course, you believe that Islamic societies are doing very well for their women and children, 
in which case I'd like a word. <laughs> Can we talk about that? If you want to go live in a Muslim society, go ahead. Um, but I don't think that those are particularly good for even men, actually, a lot of those societies. Now, some of them do it better than others, but the ones where they truly keep women tied up somewhere in the in, in a kitchen having babies, not so great for even the men in those societies. And I think we can just observe that with our eyes, right? Now, yes, women abuse themselves by over-sexualizing themselves, by degrading their bodies and their minds with the most material of choices. But that does not mean that wise women need to shut themselves off from society. In one astonishing discussion with a young man on Twitter about this issue, he brought up how Eve was deceived and the incredibly twisted Timothy verses where Paul uses that moment of deception across the entire gender as a reason for women to be silenced. And what I mean by twisted is twisted by other people who want to use Paul's words to damage women. Okay. Now, this young man who I was discussing this with, his claim was that since a woman was deceived at the beginning, no woman should ever be able to teach a man as women are too easily deceived, according to him. Basically, they can never rightly teach scripture specifically. I think Priscilla would like a word here, just saying. The woman in the New Testament who is documented as teaching a man greater wisdom about the Bible cannot possibly be real, according to these guys, though. Or maybe she's a mistake. Or maybe it's a mistake that Deborah was wise enough to rightly judge Israel. Perhaps Miriam's name should not have been mentioned as a part of Israel's leadership in Micah. Or maybe Esther made a lucky mistake in bravely and craftily devising a rescue for her people. Now listen, if you get involved in knowing this stuff at all, knowing what's going on with the Tradwife trend, you're going to come across many people who believe that women are too easily deceived to rightly understand scripture. So I have a few questions that you should ask yourself about that issue if you're confused by it. Number one, can a woman be saved? If your answer is yes, then let's go to number two. How can a woman be saved if she, if she is too stupid or deceived to understand salvation? Because salvation is described in scripture, and if a woman is too deceived to rightly understand scripture, how can she be saved? Three, how can a woman be trusted with your children if her bend is to be constantly deceived? Listen, if I thought someone was easily deceived, I wouldn't have them watching my kids, that's for sure. Number four, how can a woman be saved and have the Holy Spirit guiding her and yet be incapable of teaching the gospel to someone else? That's a little tough, isn't it? So the question then is, can a woman have the Holy Spirit? Do you believe a woman can have the Holy Spirit? Well, I do. And I guess six, on a scale of one to 10, how narcissistic do you believe yourself to be? <laughs> Sorry, no, that's not an actual question. Don't use that one. It won't go over well. But I believe what's really sad is the the men that believe this, the men that I have these discussions with, with I get the sense that they're actually really lonely. They're possibly addicted to pornography. They may have had horrible parents or just have never been exposed to great women or they hate so much what society is doing that they're swinging a pendulum all the way in another direction that is maybe of the same spirit. And we'll get to that in a moment. But these men are missing out. Even the most conservative movement in the country regarding scripture, which I believe is the messianic movement, has female teachers in it because God has given the gifts of teaching and prophecy to both men and women, according to scripture, lest we forget the prophecy about our times given in Acts, which says in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Women are prophesying. Women will be prophesying. 
prophesying in the end times. You cannot make scripture say something that it doesn't say and or take away from what it says. You just can't. I feel I feel bad for some of these young men because they're going to have a hard time when they get married um, in their marriages with this view of their wives. They really are. A movement mixing truth with lies is still going to produce folly and destruction. Hence, I believe this ultra-conservative view of women is actually joining the ranks of the transgenderism movement, even though the intention may be the exact opposite. Because the point of both movements is to erase women from the public square. Transgender people in women's sports are going to destroy women's sports forever. In the workplace, hiring a transgendered men now gets you more points than hiring a qualified woman. And the media tells us that transgendered people can have babies, have periods, sell makeup and lingerie well, and a man can be all that a woman is and still all that a man is. But mostly this movement will erase women. Now, listen, I think, unfortunately, I see the same spirit at work. The spirit in the culture is sitting right next to us in the pews. The, the Bible promises us that, right? Yeshua gives a parable where he says, The tares and the wheat grow right together. The enemy sows his seed among the people of God. And so I believe we are seeing the destruction and degradation of 50% of the population happening in culture and beginning to happen in the church as well, although it's been in the church for a long time. There has been confusion about the role of women in the church for a long time, and it has caused so much division and destruction. And in certain time periods, it's caused the abuse of women. It has been used as a reason to abuse and destroy women in the home. This we The church needs to get this right. You want culture to get gender roles right, then the church needs to get gender roles right. Now, why do you think Satan relishes in destroying women so greatly? And I have a couple of theories here. Because Satan did go after Eve in the garden. That's who he chose to deceive. And I think there's a reason. Number one, in the end, the bride is going to sit on the throne with Christ. The bride of Christ is going to sit on the throne with him. This is, this is prophecy. So I have to ask, how can men identify as a bride when they view women with such derision? And how can the bride be wise and worthy of a position as judge when women are characterized as stupid, simple, and deceived morally easily than men? By the way, I knew more women who stood against mass vaccination these last few years than men, by far. So I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure men are deceived all the time too. It's not just women that are deceived. We know that just by observing society. Okay, my second thought on this, my second theory Eve was the pinnacle of creation and likely considered the most beautiful. And didn't Satan have that seat? According to Ezekiel, God said this about Satan. You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, carnelian, chrysolite, and moonstone, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald, and worked in gold were your settings and your engravings. Wouldn't it be interesting if the pride of Satan in his beauty, if Eve threatened any aspect of that? at all, right? At all. You know, if he could just take her down, he knew that she would have the power to take down Adam. He understood some things. He was he was wise in, in that he knew that Adam was the one who had received the word directly from God about not eating of the tree. 
and that the communication to Eve might have been less than clear, which was why he was able to use confusion in his questioning of Eve. But he may have gone after Eve for other reasons, too. Number three, there is prophecy that the woman riding the beast will be destroyed by the beast, right? So Satan is just using her to get to what he really wants. He still uses women that way today, both to abuse and degrade women, but also to degrade men. Porn addiction is at an all-time high. Trafficking and slavery run rampant, especially in America. So Satan has used women throughout history to destroy things. And again, the goddess Ishtar right now in our culture, in our country, is being used to destroy our culture and our country. Um, So Satan's going to use and abuse and degrade women and degrade the role of women in order to degrade the role of everyone. And that is what we are watching happen. Where men have needed to be protectors, they've become users and abusers. And where women needed to be covered, they've been exposed. With the absence of focus on a woman's mind in both the culture and the church, women will likely be even more objectified if we continue down this route. If you believe women can only be deceived and are incapable of understanding the Bible, then what are they good for exactly? Well, you can come to the same conclusion I am. If you believe women are easily deceived and incapable of thinking and capable of the Holy Spirit using them, what are they good for? Use and abuse, right? Use and abuse. The same belief in the ultra-right view of women permeates that of traffickers and abusers. Am I being too harsh? Some of you may say yes, but are you sure? Careful now, as many men are addicted to porn in churches as those who don't attend church. That's just the data, guys. That's just the statistics. Proverbs 31 tells of a woman who has businesses, buys land, sells clothing, and still is able to keep her home with beauty and dignity. She has a name at the city gates and is loved and revered by her husband and children. She's the ideal. But she's not quiet. She's also not sexualized beyond recognition. She doesn't seem annoying or uneducated. She's smart, not deceived, wise, not incompetent. Listen, I don't believe that this view of women that's being purported by the far right is going to do society any good. Um, and I'm fine. You, you want to be a traditional wife. The great thing in our society is that that's your choice. And in fact, I find myself feeling the same way because the Bible tells us that the man is the spiritual head of the household. There's a lot riding on his shoulders. And there's a lot a woman can do for herself and for her husband in doing what Paul tells us all to do, which is submit to one another in love. Paul says that for for all people, we're supposed to submit to one another. So when he tells women to submit to their husbands, he's not saying anything new about the attitude of a believer, but he's also giving you a little clue into the realities of male and female. It's pretty hard for a woman to give respect to her husband. We tend to critique and criticize. We tend to see the details the men don't see. And we want to constantly point out the areas where they are lacking. We need to push away from that natural tendency in order to give some deference to our husbands. 
Men are supposed to love women the way that Christ loves the church. They're supposed to love their wives the way Christ loved the church. They're supposed to be sacrificial. They're supposed to lay down their life. They're supposed to do whatever it takes to make her whole. True marriage is such a beautiful trade-off. And the, re- the here's the reason that love is called for by Paul. Paul was really wise in this regard. Men are really good at giving deference and respect, but showing love, is that a natural tendency for a man? Not as much. So both men and women are called to do the thing that they are less naturally inclined to do. Women are more naturally inclined to gossip about their husbands than give deference to them. Amen? And unfortunately, I I don't mean amen as shall it be. I mean amen, it's true. Unfortunately, we need to stop that. We need to give complete deference to our husbands and love on them and find good things to say about them. And it doesn't mean, listen, here's what I believe. The Bible gives a lot of reasons for divorce And that certain relationships, whether they're a marriage on paper, does not mean they're a marriage in real life. If you're in an abusive relationship, a neglectful relationship, or a relationship where there's been infidelity, you do not have to stay with that person. The Bible is very clear about this stuff. You you have every right to say no. This is not a marriage covenant. We are not. You are not keeping your end of the marriage covenant. That covenant is broken. But you know, marriage is hard. So for the rest of us that are in regular old marriages, we have to push against our natural tendencies in order to be there. This is why God loves marriage in some I think one of the reasons why God loves marriage, it's supposed to make you a better person, <laughs> right? But my call to submit to my husband does not mean I am called to submit to every other man in society. Can I get a hallelujah? Okay, Uh, if you're a man out there in society, there is no biblical call for me to submit to you. Sorry, in any way, shape or form. I am not underneath you. I'm not underneath your leadership. I do not have to do what you want me to do. I do not have to give you deference. Um, I'm not going to gossip about you, hopefully, because gossip, I believe, is just wrong across across all fronts. But my submission belongs to God Almighty and my husband. This is something that is biblical. And I believe that the trad wives trend, even though they're talking about husbands, they're talking about in the home and and they're talking about it in a way that I think disagrees with the Proverbs 31 women, a woman, a lot of the time, but they, they, it's spreading into what happens in the church and in society. And I think societies where women have no voice are much worse off than societies where women have a voice. That's just my observation of the world. And so I, I think we need as a church to start having these discussions. As I said, I'm not sure I've landed the plane in every role that a woman is or isn't allowed to have where the church is concerned. But what I do know is this, that whenever we degrade 50% of our society, we're, going, we're degrading everything. We can't do this. You cannot degrade the mind of women, the minds of women, the potential of women, and not also degrade men and not also take society down with you. We need to get back. Men are men. Women are women. And let's understand the biblical roles that God has laid out for us as men and women and why God made it that way, why God wants you to be united to your opposite. Something so beautiful that Dennis Prager points out is when God created Eve, it says he created an Ezer Connecto, so a helpmate that saves him from something that was going wrong with him being alone, uh, Adam being alone. He creates an Ezer Connecto to be in opposition to him. Now, this doesn't mean to be fighting with him. What it means is that she is supposed to be an equal challenge, that a man thinking by himself and making all decisions by himself 
is God called that not good. And he created someone, a woman, who would be the perfect opposing force in some ways, the perfect uh, second opinion, right? And vice versa. The man is supposed to make a woman better. A woman is supposed to make a man better, not by always agreeing with each other, actually, but by maybe being in opposition to one another in views. Maybe a woman sees things differently than a man, and maybe that combination gives you the wholeness of God's view of something. That kind of a definition of who men and women are, that would revolutionize marriages and society. And then you can dig into some of those other details. And then you can also dig into the psychology of it and understand why God explains things the way that he does and why he made things work the way that he does. Everything in God's kingdom, right? You can see the physical evidence of a spiritual principle. And so we need to just get better at having these discussions and making sure that we are on the forefront of the discussions instead of reactionary or leading, trying to lead from behind or not even having the conversation. So if you start to encounter, I, I want you to have thought this through on your own. You may come to some different conclusions than I did. Go to the Word of God about it. Go to Second Timothy. Wrestle with some of the weird stuff that Paul writes about women. But remember, Paul legally could not ma- be making new laws. And so it's why he says, I do not permit a woman to usurp authority from a man in a church. He says that because he at the time was not permitting that to take place because of the culture and the time period. He doesn't say the law forbids. Also, there's a difference between the law, which is the Torah, God's laws, customs, and traditions of men. And Paul is very good at delineating which thing he's talking about. There's customs happening. There's traditions of men happening. A lot of this stuff comes up when you get into the head coverings portion of what Paul writes. Um, Or you know, and you go back and look at what the Old Testament says and then what's happening in the New Testament. Um, And so be careful that you don't go out and claim God's law states that no woman can. Make sure God's law actually states that, not just Paul. Paul is speaking to different churches in a culture, in a time period, trying to wrestle with the cultural issues of the day and what's going on in the church with a bunch of pagans coming into the synagogue. A very difficult time period, by the way, a very hard time to wrestle with all those things going on. We have, listen, we can learn a lot from Paul because we have the same issues today. What do we do with transgenderism as a church? What do we do with gender issues as a church? These are the big issues of our day. Can we go to scripture and see you know, when James kind of oversaw the discussion in Acts about who, you know, what is going to be required of people as they come into the church, as they're learning, what do we need to ask them to do immediately? And then how do we ask them to do the next things? How do we teach them the next steps of obedience? All those discussions are had, you know, from Acts on. We can learn a lot because we're dealing with some of the same types of issues in a lot of ways. But it was even worse, I believe, at Paul's time because those pagans were unaware of a lot of these teachings in the synagogue, a lot of the biblical understanding of how to do things. It's not like today where people are very aware that a lot of Christians believe a certain way. And so I think it was even harder, you know, during the time of Paul to hammer those issues out and to really get people to understand how to deal with them. But remember, Paul is not legally allowed to make new laws according to Deuteronomy, which states, you shall not add to nor take away from this 
word from this teaching and instruction. You don't get to add new laws. The laws God gave are his laws. That's it. Done. Final. Finito. No new laws, right? God doesn't want you to have 10,000 laws. He gave you 613. It's supposed to be simple. It's easy, right? The Bible says this. It says the word, the law is already close to you. It's already in your mouth. It's not something far away from you. It's not too hard for you. The Bible literally says this. It's not too hard for you. Well, it becomes very difficult if you have Paul adding a bunch more laws and then the Catholic Church adding a bunch more laws. And then today we add a bunch more laws and then we take away some. How's anybody going to know how to be obedient to the Lord? God never intended for that chaos to take place. That's why he said, you are not to add any more laws to these and you're not to take away from these and you don't get to change them. This stays forever so that it can be clear for people easy for people to be obedient, to understand obedience, easy for people to understand the character of God because his character doesn't change, right? Okay, so Paul's not going to make new laws. He knows that better than we do. So be careful when you're quoting Paul. If Paul's the only one you can quote on an issue, you better take a step back and and get some better context of what you're trying to say. And so I would encourage you to go do your own research, come to your own conclusions, but know what you believe in this regard. And when you encounter something that is wicked or evil or degrading of either woman or men, you can know what it is. You can understand it. You can teach to it. You can lovingly make, help people make adjustments. And very importantly, you can teach your children about this because I believe we are in an unbelievably confusing time for young people and they need help and direction. I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope that my thought processes here uh, have helped you maybe start to think about this from your own view. And listen, you could be offended at some of the things I've said all you want to be. That's okay. I'm okay with that. We're allowed to disagree on some of this stuff. But go do the work on your own, right? Don't just leave it there. Go to the word of God on your own. Go to some great teachers on your own. I would suggest Dinah Dye is one of the great teachers in the Messianic movement, an amazing, amazing teacher of the word of God and an amazing godly woman. And I, if you go listen to some of her teachings, you are going to be hard pressed to believe that she's too deceived to teach the Bible. But she's got some stuff on women that maybe I'll bring to you guys next week. Um, and, and on women teachers, I believe that, um, if she still has it up, that is very good, very well done, very biblical. Um, and you know, and she'll inspire you. I promise she's a great teacher. So you'll love her teaching and you'll, you'll go, Oh gosh, well, we would be at, we would be losing out if we didn't have people like her out there teaching God's word, but she's not a pastor of a local congregation. She doesn't take that role. So again, I want, you to, I want you to think about this issue, and I want you to be careful that you're not joining the forces of hell. <laughs> I say that tongue-in-cheek. You guys know uh, some of my thoughts on that. But you're not, for, you're not joining Satan in his conquest of, of women. And um, because really, when you destroy women, you destroy men as well. So many blessings to you all. May you have a blessed and peaceful Sabbath. Shalom. I will be back with you all next week.